So for the past few weeks, we studied 1 Timothy 5, which is all about people. Right? 1 Timothy 5 explains how we ought to treat one another, especially in the context of a local church. It's all about people. And the key idea, the key word that, that comes, comes out over and over again is the word honor. When we relate to one another, especially within the church, we treat one another with honor. Uh, this idea, it begins in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Paul talks about how we ought to treat one another with honor as family. So the church is, is family. Older men as fathers, older women as, as mothers, younger sisters, with all purity, you, you honor them. So there's this great deal of honor that we see in the opening verses of chapter 5. We also see now Paul gets really specific in verse 3 where he says, Honor widows who are truly widows, meaning put special care to those who are without family. Also remember to not neglect your earthly family, to take care of your biological family. And so he talks about widows and also the importance of our responsibility to care for our earthly family as well. And then you jump down to verse 17 and he says, Elders, pastors who preach and teach are worthy of, of double honor. And so after last week's sermon, a couple of people came up to me and said, Man, Pastor, you must have loved that sermon, right? Because it's almost like a self-serving, selfish sermon for a pastor to give because you're basically preaching to the congregation to honor you. But I can tell you, uh, after last week's sermon, the image that, that, that stayed in my head is this, the analogy that comes right after verse 17, which simply says that a pastor is an ox. Like, he's not a rock star that's deserving of honor, but it talks about how in verse 18, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. So I was thinking to myself, man, I'm called to work like an ox. That's a, that's a hard calling. And so, uh, but you know, Paul kind of elaborates on the importance of how a pastor should invest into the congregation, to love the congregation, and in return, how the members of the church should also uh, pour into the leaders as well. So a great deal of honor in that relationship as well. And finally, we come to a section where Paul is closing this big, this long section of honor, and this is what he says in verse 1 of chapter 6. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Do you see, like, at first he started off with honor and then double honor, and now with masters, he says, give them what, what is due, like, worthy of all honor. Now, this passage is really strange. It is odd. It almost feels it's out of place because what, what do masters have to do with the church, right? Paul, he's, he's addressing the church in 1 Timothy. This is a private letter to the local church. And so you would think that Paul would talk about issues within the church, and yet here he's talking about masters and servants. That, that word bondservant, by the way, is the Greek word doulos, which can also be translated as slaves, and so you have a footnote in your Bible. If you have the word bondservant there, there's a footnote that would say that it could also mean slaves. And immediately when we think about the word slave, we kind of get this negative idea because uh, what we know about slavery is what we learned in U.S. history. In the 17th, 18th, 19th century, where African um, slave trades were, were happening where millions of Africans were, were separated from their families, from their home country. They were sold, traded across Europe and America. A lot of them were forced to live, live and work in harsh conditions. They were abused. They were mistreated. It was just a horrible time. 
And so when we hear about this, this dark reality that exists in history and we associate that with slavery, when we see the word slave or servant in the Bible, immediately we're thinking, man, that is a bad thing. But this is not the context in which Paul is writing to Timothy in the letter First Timothy. This is not how he's using the word bondservant or slave. Remember, Paul and Timothy, they're living in the first century under the Roman Empire. So he's talking about slavery in the Greco-Roman world. And um, secular history tells us that there were about, at any given point, about 50 to 60 million slaves or servants in the Roman Empire. Empire, And so this was a good portion of the population. A lot of the major cities that belonged to Rome, uh, like Rome or Corinth or even Ephesus, um, historians say that about one-third of the population were actually servants or considered slaves. Now, many of these servants were skilled. They were, they had, they, they were, craft, craft, they were craftsmen, and they uh, either managed stuff, they would cook, they would teach, they were even occupy high government official positions, and also physicians were slaves as well. A lot of people, they became servants by choice. They liked the security and stability of working for someone. And so it was almost like this long-term employment that you had, a contract that you had with someone. And so it wasn't something that was passed down from generation to generation. It wasn't something that was driven by race or skin color. No, a lot of this was part of the economic system. Now, I'm not saying that this is something that is good, godly, and honoring to the Lord. No, the Bible never says that even this form of slavery is honoring to the Lord. No, the Bible never says that this is an ideal, perfect situation where people are serving um, others as masters. As much as this was a little bit better than what we have seen in, in America or the African trade um, slaves, uh, we see that still a lot of people in the Greco-Roman world were abused as slaves, that there were a lot of bad masters who would put slaves or servants under very harsh situations. And Paul is not by any means endorsing slavery here. He's not saying that this is a great idea. In fact, earlier in the letter, he said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. And then he puts out a long list of people who are lawless and disobedient. He says, well, sinners, ungodly, for the unholy, profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexual immoral, men who practice homosexuality, and enslavers. So the word enslaver, in other major translations, it comes out as slave traders. So the idea of trading slaves forcefully the, the whole history that we have with the African trades, uh, slave trading um, history, that in itself, the Bible does not support. Uh, it actually condemns. It calls it a sin, that human trafficking is a clear sin before the Lord. There's nothing godly about slavery. And this is why in 1 Corinthians 7.21, Paul says, Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom... Avail yourself of the opportunity. In other words, if you have a chance to kind of move away from serving a master or living as a slave, do so. Live as a free person. He also says in Philemon, a letter that he writes to a dear brother called Philemon. He was an owner of a slave. And uh, he writes to this, this guy. He says, I met this man named Onesimus. And he was a runaway slave of Philemon. And he says, I'm sending him back to you. But when he does return back to you, I want you to free him. 
So through and through, you see that the Bible and Paul, they are all about freeing people. Like, you know, they're not saying that this is part of God's original plan. The Bible never says that this is God's ultimate desire. Slavery exists basically because of the sinfulness, the wickedness of our hearts, the fallenness of this world. Slavery is a product of sin. The fact that you're trying to exercise authority over another human being, uh, try to abuse power in a way and control the other person, that in itself is wicked and sinful. And you don't see that in creation. You will not see that in, in heaven. And so God does not approve slavery. He does not endorse Slavery. What Paul is simply doing in today's passage is this. I'm not saying that this is holy, good, or right. I'm simply acknowledging the reality that exists in your church, in Ephesus, where about one-third of the congregation most likely were slaves. You had masters and slaves worshiping together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there's a lot of confusion and tension that exists within the church. And in other places, he gives instructions to masters and how they ought to treat their slaves. But in today's passage in particular, Paul is speaking to those who are slaves, who are in the body of Christ. And although in the 21st century America, we don't have this slave-master relationship anymore, I do believe there are some important principles that we can apply to our everyday life because a lot of us work for a company or work for a boss. And there are some bosses who are really, really nice to us. And there are some bosses who are very abusive, that they would mistreat and misuse their workers. And so in many ways, the same principles can apply to this. What do you do when you have a boss who is ungodly, who is not a Christian, who is trying to take advantage of you? What do you do in that situation? Like, how do you live out your faith in the workplace? And if you are a student, that means your full-time job is to be a student. So your boss could be your teacher, your professor, anyone who is in authority, uh, who, who you need to listen to, who, you need, who gives you work. And so if I'm speaking of work, uh, especially if you're a student, I want you to replace that with either study, uh, just know that it's kind of on the, in the same context. But if you work for a boss or if you are a student who's under a teacher, how should you live your life in light of the gospel? That's the main agenda today. Okay, that's the question that Paul is addressing in today's passage. So he gives two simple instructions. The first one is this. Honor all superiors to make Jesus look good. Honor all superiors, people in authority, to make Jesus look good. Look at what it says in verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Why? So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So the Bible says that when you work, when you're doing something at, 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 at the workplace or at school, when you're studying, I want you to remember that the name of God and the word of God should matter. Like that's, that's something that should be on your mind. That's what Paul is saying. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a believer part of God's family, when you work, you are working for more than a paycheck or an approval for, from a person. If you are a student studying and you are a believer of Jesus Christ, then you are studying more for a grade or more for a diploma. Notice it doesn't say that you can be exempt from this command if your master is ungodly or if your master is, is not a Christian. 
It says, honor your master. Like, it just simply says that. In other words, anyone who is in authority over you, anyone who is considered a superior than you, anyone who you are obligated to work for, the Bible says you should honor them, that you should respect them, not just in words or, 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 or in your mind, but in action, in obedience, in your attitude, in your posture. You should honor them because you care about the name of God and you care about the word of God. Paul simply says, regard your master, your superior, as worthy of all honor. You might think they're not worthy of honor, but he says, regard them as worthy of all honor. Why? Because as a Christian, you have a bigger mission than just earning your paycheck. God says you have a mission to represent Christ, and you have a mission to lead people to Christ. And this is so countercultural, right? Because our world will tell us that you need to go look for a job that pays you well, that treats you well, that has a lot of good people around you that you can that maybe build relationships with, that could be useful down the road, that can be helpful for your career. And everything about your job is self-centered, right? And what the Bible is saying is this. No, even your job exists not for yourself, but for God. Because if you're just working for yourself and you don't like something uh, about the job, the first thought that comes to your mind is, man, I got to switch jobs. What kind of legal actions can I take in order to protect myself? What the Bible is saying is this, before you even jump to that conclusion, think about the mission that God has placed in your heart. Like, yes, you are there to, to, to work well and, and to earn a salary, but is there more to that at your workplace? And the Bible is saying, absolutely. Yeah, that God has placed you specifically in that context, not just for yourself, but for the glory of God, so that non-believers, so that people who, who do not know the Lord might be able to see the good news of Jesus Christ as Christians, that we don't just change based on the situation, but we change based on obedience to the Lord. Even if we have, don't have the best boss, maybe for some of the students, like, you hate your professor this semester. You, you, you're, you're, you're discouraged that you, you got some bad teachers, according to your opinion. The Bible says still work hard. Be a good worker. Be a good student. Why? Because ultimately, you work for God. That's the bottom line. Like You don't just work for people. You work for God. You don't just work for your reputation, but you work for the reputation of God. You don't just work to earn other people's approval. You work to earn people for Christ. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. When your employer looks at you, or maybe your teacher looks at you, your professor looks at you. What, what do they see in your work, in the way that you do your job, in the way that you study? Do they see the goodness of God? Do they see diligent, faithful work that reflects the faithful nature of our Lord? Do they see the honest, honesty and integrity that reflects the pure and, and, and righteous nature of our God? Do they see loving kindness of our Lord and are you willing to kind of love on other people and give grace to other people even when they don't deserve it because simply God, that's how God is, that he gives grace to undeserving people? No, what would happen if, if your boss showed up at church today? If your teacher was sitting right next to you in worship? Would they say, whoa, you go to church? I, like, would they be surprised at that? Or would they say, I knew it. 
I knew that you would go to church. So like, you would be the type of person who would worship God. Like, what would be their reaction? Because the Bible says that as much as we talk about Jesus, that our life should reflect who Jesus is. As Christians, we don't have to be the smartest workers, but we should be good workers, faithful workers. Like, there should be a reputation where you think, okay, if a Christian is doing a job, he's going to do his job well. No, I hate it when, like, you know, when I go to buy something and, and the salesperson, we're having a conversation, and they always kind of ask, what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a pastor. And the first response would be, oh, I go to church too. And then it's like, come on, help a brother out, right? Buy something. Like, no, no, you can trust me. That's, and then a lot of times you realize, man, that is not a good deal, right? I think one reason why people are so disappointed at Jesus is because they're so disappointed as Christians because they don't see the integrity, the honesty, that their life is no different from, from the world. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.19, For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So Paul says, I labor really hard. I work as a servant, as a slave. Why? So that I might win some people for Christ. Now, this does not mean if you are a hard worker, automatically people are going to understand the gospel and, and, and believe in Jesus. We know that faith comes through hearing and hearing comes through the word of God. There is an aspect where you have to verbally communicate the exact message of the gospel. You have to talk about how glorious God is, how beautiful his design is. You have to talk about the sinfulness and the seriousness of sin. Um, you have to also address the, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and how he redeems us, restores us, how he saves us, and how we have to respond to him in faith and obedience. You can have address all of that. And so it's not necessarily your work that's going to lead people to Christ. But know that your hard and honest work would be a platform to have these gospel conversations. You know, why would someone give their life to Jesus if your life doesn't look any different from theirs? Like, why, why would they listen to you? If there's nothing different about your joy, if there's nothing different about your integrity, if you're constantly late, lazy in what you do, like you, it seems like you're just doing exactly what everyone else is doing, and you're saying, well, I love church, I love Jesus. Like, what motivation would they have when it comes to believing in Jesus? But, but just know that your, your life can make a difference and open wonders of opportunities to have conversations about the gospel. I think one way that we can start um, living with a purpose and working with a purpose is is through prayer. How many of you start your day with prayer? How many of you go to your workplace, or if you're a student, how many of you sit in your classroom and the first thing that you do is, is prayer? I mean, how awesome would it be if on a daily basis you are sitting at your desk and you're praying for your coworkers? That's how you start off the day. That you're praying for the people that you work for and you're saying, God, I know that I have a responsibility to do well, in my job, but at the end of the day, I want to remember that I represent you. So even though there are times when it's tempting for me to be selfish, to be, to be self-centered, I want to do my best for you, for your glory. Now, how awesome would it be if a student goes to a teacher and asks, how can I pray for you? Because, you know, before each class, I would love to just keep you in my prayers. Like, because I appreciate all that you do, the hard work that you put in. I mean, I might not understand everything that you say in class, but I still really appreciate you, that you're investing in my life. 
I encourage our students to try that out and see how your teacher responds. They're not going to say, go sit down. Man, they might, they might cry in front of you because a lot of times what they struggle with is they feel like no one honors them and no one appreciates them. And do you know how hard it is, by the way, to be a boss? How hard it is to be someone in, in charge, all the responsibilities? One of the hardest things that you can do in life is actually manage people because people have so many different, uh, there's so many different people, so many different obstacles. And so I think one way that you can change your environment at work is actually beginning with a prayer. And as you are opening your, your day with prayer, changing your environment with prayer, you are working wisely, you're working diligently, you're working intentionally, that you are working with a purpose consistently. And when you do that, you're building credibility for yourself so that there will be opportunities for you to share the gospel. So it's going to take some time, but also know that ultimately you will reap fruit if you live a life that's honoring to the Lord and faithful to his word. And also, try to show some grace to those who you're working for. Your boss is not perfect. Your boss is simple. Your superiors have flaws. And it's tempting for us as we are working for these people to point out all their flaws and, and gossip about them, but... But take some time to, to show some grace to them. Just like Christ has shown you grace, you extend that grace. So what does this mean for people who are working in a Christian-friendly environment? Those who are lucky, right? Those who are, have nice Christian bosses. Like, what do you do in, in that case? Um, do you get a free pass on all of this? Well, Paul says in verse 2, this is what he says. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better. So the second point that Paul makes is this. Honor all Christian superiors to bless them. Honor all Christian superiors to bless them. So you, you honor those who are in position of authority in general to make Jesus look good, especially if someone is a believer, a Christian, a fellow brother in Christ. No, you work to bless them. You know, our tendency is that if someone is in, in position is a Christian, you're like, man, okay, I can be a little bit lazy. I can be a little bit late. No, I can mess up a little bit. Why? Because they're a Christian and they're supposed to show grace. Like you, 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 you get pulled over after speeding and an officer walks up to you and, 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 and you realize that he's, he, he, he's a Christian, that he's someone of the faith. And you, you're thinking, man, he's going to give me like a pass this time around. No, no. What the Bible says is this. If you are working or if you are interacting with someone who is superior than you, who's in authority with you, and that person happens to be a believer, there's more of a reason for you to do your best, to work hard. It says in verse 2, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. In other words, if your boss is a fellow Christian, that means he's family or she is family. And therefore, honor them. Treat them nicely. Like, love on them. I think one of the biggest things that we tend to do is neglect family. That we, because they're always around. Because, you know, we always see them, like, a lot of times, although we know that they love us and we love them, like we don't really appreciate all of that. Um, but as you get old, what you realize is that family is, is really precious and, and you want to do your best to honor and make sure that you care for the people that are, are close to you. And the same way, what the Bible is saying is this, if you understand that your boss is a brother or sister in Christ, 
then honor them as family. So honor, honor all Christian superiors to bless them. And so this is kind of the layout that God gives us when it comes to this section of honoring. Honor one another within the church context as family. Honor those who are neglected, especially widows. Honor, while honoring widows, honor your biological family, your natural family. Don't neglect them. Also honor your leaders. Double the honor for them and, and pray for them, care for them. And then lastly, honor those who are above you, superiors, authorities, teachers, professors, um, bosses, honor them. And the last question that we have to ask is this. After all of this, there's one last question. The real question that we have to ask ourselves is, do you honor Jesus? Because if you honor Jesus, most likely you'll have no problem with this section of honoring. If you honor Jesus, you'll have no issue honoring one another within the church family. That you have no issue honoring those who are neglected and, and caring for those who are easily um, abused and, and, and who are in vulnerable positions like widows. That you have no problem honoring your biological family. You have no problem honoring your leaders if you honor Jesus. Jesus is worthy of all honor. And out of the honor that we have for Jesus, Paul is telling us to honor one another. It says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 15 and 16, which, we, which he display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. God deserves all the honor. Jesus, he is worthy of all honor. So out of the honor that we have for Jesus, we honor one another. No, the sad part is in Mark chapter 6, Jesus shows up at his hometown in front of his family. And the Bible says that people in his hometown did not honor him. And so people, instead of honoring the one who's worthy of all honor, neglected him, um, despised him. And, and Jesus, how does he respond to that? He still shows honor. He still honors his disciples and as brothers and sisters. Um, he still honors his, his mom who is about to be a widow after the cross. Like, he, he, he makes sure he, she's taken care of. Like Jesus, he, he still honors authorities. He still honors those who are superior in position. Not because he doesn't have the right or, or the power, but simply out of love, he honors these people. It says in Mark 10, verse 44 and 45, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if Jesus is worthy of all honor, and the way that he saved us is by laying down his honor, by becoming a servant of all, then how much more are we ought to love one another in a way where we are sacrificing ourselves, lay down our pride, our rights, for the sake of the glory of the gospel and for the good of others. So let's live a life of honor. Let's, let's live a life where we are reflecting God's glory. Now, some people try to separate worship and work. They say, you come to church on Sunday to, to worship, and then on the rest of the week, you go to work. But what the Bible says is this. When you come to church, you come to work as the body of Christ. And when you go to work, you go to be the church, that you go to represent Christ, that you have a special mission. Like a student, your job is simply a, a cover-up. That, that's what you have in order to accomplish a greater mission. And what is that greater mission? It is to bring glory to God. It is to lead people to Christ. 
And so let's not get mixed in, 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 the, in, the, in the waves of this world and, and get lost in, in all that the world is talking about work, but let's have the gospel be at work. Let's live for the gospel, work for the gospel, and lead people to Christ. Amen? Let's pray.